Good morning, everyone. I was about to say it's great to see you, but of course I can't. This is all so weird, isn't it? Not weird for you, maybe, but it will be for me on Sunday morning when I'm watching this with you in my kitchen, probably cringing with a cup of tea. Don't you just miss Sunday mornings, gathering together, worshipping together, hearing the word, seeing you, receiving, giving a hug? I really, really miss this, I have to say. I don't miss the arguments with my boys, trying to drag them out of bed early on a Sunday morning. That is no longer on the agenda, but we do miss gathering together. I'm sure you will agree. This is the end of week nine of lockdown. Yes, I am counting. I'm sure many of you are as well. I have three boys, aged 14, 12 and nine, and homeschooling. What a joy, what a gift that is that coronavirus has given us. That's going so well here, I have to say. Plus, I'm working in London as well. I'm reading the news for the BBC. So that's wall-to-wall information, data, interviews about coronavirus, this global pandemic. I have interviewed in the last few months more epidemiologists than I ever have done in my life. In fact, I probably didn't even know really what one was before this all kicked off. So it has been really challenging for most of us, hasn't it? And the isolation, not being able to physically Uh, spend time with our wider families, our friends, our loved ones. For some, it's been harrowing. Perhaps uh, you've been very unwell or you know someone or someone close to you. Perhaps bereavement is something you are experiencing. But as Rich Horn said last week, for others, it's been a huge blessing. And That's allowed, isn't it? Praise God for uh, the blessings. And there are great blessings to be had, forcing us to stop, to just halt that life that maybe was a little bit overstretched. Maybe you have even rested a little bit, spending more time together as a family. And, you know, working from home, it can be really challenging. I totally appreciate that. But I know many parents, for example, who do not miss that long commute at all, the long hours in the office, and they're just really appreciating the time with family, quality time with children, not to mention, of course, the blessing for our environment, wildlife thriving. Isn't that such a pleasure to see cleaner environment, our skies, our waters clearing. There is a lot of discussion to be had about the blessings of this and the changes that might be permanent in the future. Well, whatever it is for you, it is here for some time. And that is why the series we've been covering here at King's in recent weeks has been so timely. Hope unshaken, Habakkuk, living by faith in troubled times. I don't know about you, but so far I have been really inspired. I've been encouraged, comforted and challenged. And I hope and pray this morning you are too. So let's get stuck in. We're going to dig into Habakkuk 3. I'm reading from the New International Version. If you want to follow with me with your Bibles. Um, And verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet 
on Shigianoth, if I pronounce that correctly, which basically means it's a prayer set to music. It's a lament. The message version goes as far as to say that it's an orchestral crescendo. So here we go. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath, You strode through the earth in an anger. You threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, Churning the great waters, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. Amen. It's a great chapter. And it's the final chapter of this short little book that we've been studying called Habakkuk. And as it indicates at the start of the chapter, this is a prayer, Habakkuk's song from his soul to his saviour, to his God, the one in whom he trusts. This is joy at its best when circumstances are at their worst. Habakkuk singing of his hope in God, who will rescue. And this has been quite a journey of faith, hasn't it, that we have been studying in recent weeks, where Habakkuk, who's only talking to God, he's not talking to a crowd of people, political leaders or royalty, which is 
very similar to what other prophets have been doing in the Bible. This for Habakkuk is just between him and his God. In chapter one, Habakkuk lays out his burden. We hear about the wicked rule of the Babylonians, Habakkuk grappling with the problems, um, telling God exactly how he's feeling about his situation and the situation of God's people at that time. He doesn't hold back. He asks direct, honest questions. How can a good God, his God, the one he worships, the one he loves, how can God allow this to happen? Then in chapter two, he waits, he listens, he looks to see what God will say. He wants a response, a vision. And this is a key moment in this story for Habakkuk to move from a sob of doubt in chapter one to a song of trust, faith, hope and praise in chapter three. This bit in the middle is really critical. The chapter in in between where he resolves to wait, to look for, to see what God is saying in his situation. What is his response? What is God's vision? Lifting his eyes. Do we do that if we're honest about ourselves? Do we really give God, our Father in heaven, time to answer when we seek him? Are we waiting patiently or are we already moving on, maybe in our mind, our heart? How are we really in this situation? I'm not very good at waiting. Honestly, I am not. I am so this generation um, when it comes to expecting things now, um, within reason, of course, but we are getting used to immediacy. You know, we order with the click of a button and before we know it, it's arriving at our front door. Uh, Delivery is so quick. Wait? What is waiting? What is that? Well, many are saying that another side benefit of this coronavirus pandemic is it's actually forcing us to wait again. So certainly, if we're going to sing our song to Jesus, like Habakkuk, a song of hope, a song of faith, a song of joy, despite our circumstances. We have to be in his presence. And that sometimes means we have to wait there. It's the resolve of Habakkuk, his choice. He actually says at the beginning of chapter two, I will stand at my watch and station myself at the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk was determined. He would hear, he would get an answer. And we don't know how long he waited for. We don't get that detail in the Bible, but he did wait. And God doesn't disappoint. Matthew 7 verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. As we seek him, we will find him. In Deuteronomy 4 verse 29, it says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
And we saw Habakkuk lay it all out in chapter one. He didn't hold back. It was all heart and soul, if you look at that in detail in his language. And that's the real relationship that our father is seeking. He doesn't want the reserved, stip, stiff upper lip, that stoic denial. Oh, we're okay. Everything is fine. Keep calm and carry on. That's very British, isn't it? When you read the Bible, it is full of the absolute opposite. Just look at the Psalms, for example, the wailing, the heartfelt cries to God, uh, the the cries, help us, rescue us, uh, take me out of this slimy pit. It's all there. It's very intense. It's very exuberant. It, and then you've got the intense and exuberant worship that follows. It's real, raw stuff. So in chapter two, God responds to Habakkuk. And when Habakkuk heard, when he saw what God was planning to do, his despair was then able to move to faith, hope and trust, joy and praise. Chapter one, Habakkuk lays out his burden. In chapter two, he hears from God. He receives the vision and the glorifying assurance. And then in chapter three, he sings back to God his song of faith. Habakkuk has been on quite a journey. And yet the situation for him, the circumstances haven't changed. The Babylonians are still in power. The evil regime is still very much in force. If we look at chapter three, verse 17, and this is what Rich Horn was reading out last week or focusing on, it gives us a sense of what this means for God's people in economic terms at that time. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. And Rich very well last week explained what that means for God's people at that time. Literally, their livelihoods uh, was just not there. It was all their livelihood depended on the cattle, on the, uh, the crops, on what was made in the land. Some of you may be looking at your circumstances and what Habakkuk has just described to you may sound all too familiar. Lockdown has led to many lose their jobs. Many have been uh, put on furlough with maybe no assurance of a job at the end of it. Many businesses have collapsed or they're on the brink of collapsed. And many businesses have had to radically change just to survive. And if you read what economists are saying and what they project in the years ahead, and I read a lot about that, I interview a lot of economists when I'm at work, It's very, very gloomy indeed. We're looking at recession, if not global depression. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you are more than likely to be affected, perhaps in different degrees. And we as Christians, we're not immune to that. We don't have a magic wand that we can wave so that everything will be okay. The Bible is pretty clear on that. We will go through tough times, through times of suffering. So how do we walk through the seasons when there is drought, when the fields produce no food, there's no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls. How do we cope when we face such hardship? 
Let's look at what Habakkuk says in chapter three. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. How does Habakkuk get to that place, that place of such assurance, faith and, and even joy? How does he get there? How do we get there given the challenges that we are facing? Well, if we take a look at verses 3 to 15 of this chapter, this will present you with another key, I believe, on how we get to where he got to. He says, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your wonderful deeds. And this is Habakkuk remembering the mighty acts of God, what God has done in the past. And in particular, Habakkuk is referring probably to the times of Exodus Onwards, This is before Christ, remember. So he glorifies in the marvellous deeds of God, the mighty hand of God who rescued his people. The most poignant event for uh, those of the Old Testament, of course, was the exodus of God's people, the parting of the Red Sea when Moses led God's people out of Egypt. An incredible rescue. So pre-Christ, this was the story that Habakkuk and all the other prophets would talk about and remember and digest and meditate on what God did then, what God has done since. Habakkuk chose to remember and let that build faith for his now and for his tomorrow, focusing on God, God's mighty hand and rescue and goodness and not his circumstances. So he meditates on provision, who God is, and this assures him of his future. And we're to do the same. Let's remind ourselves of God's incredible provision, the many times that he has been there for us when all else has failed. I am sure you've got many stories of your own. I have got many and the Bible is just jam-packed with them. Jesus himself says in Matthew 6 verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? It's a very famous scripture. We quote it often, don't we? And I make a point of quoting it, especially to my non-Christian friends who may not be so familiar with that verse. Direct from Jesus is one of the best bits of advice to ensure mental health. If you could truly live this scripture and be in a place of complete trust and not worry about tomorrow, well, if you could be that radical, we could just throw out all those self-help books we've got, haven't we? I mean, there are just hundreds and thousands of them. It's a huge uh, multi-million dollar business. You know, the books about a better work life, uh, how to sleep better, how to parent better, 10 steps to happiness, a better diet, this, that and the other. I do admit I have quite a few of those books, actually, and they have been a blessing and a help. So I'm being a little scathing here, but just get my point 
Jesus makes it really, really clear and simple. Do not worry about tomorrow. The day-to-day stuff, what you will eat, what you will wear. Your father has got this. He will look after you. He will provide for you. Now, I know what you might be thinking, Sally, it's not that simple. You just don't get my circumstances. Really, if you knew the situation I was in, if you knew, if you were in my shoes, how could you say you wouldn't worry? Well, I actually don't know what your situation is, obviously. But the point is, Jesus does. Your father in heaven knows more about your today and your tomorrow than you do. He is all over your situation. And he says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Nothing will be able to separate you from his love. So he's got your now and your future. And he says to you clearly, therefore, do not worry. Some would say, It's actually a command. But how can we do this, Sally, when we're in the midst of this unprecedented crisis? We can't even walk out the door without fear of catching what is for some a deadly virus, something that we can't see or even know if it's right there. It is a killer. Then, of course, there's the economic situation. I don't know if I'm even going to have a job. Everywhere you go right now, there is worry and fear about tomorrow. I am absolutely well aware of it. I am often the one delivering the message uh, to an enormous audience on the BBC about all the detail. And there is a lot to be concerned about if you were to just focus on those messages. For those of you who don't know me, and I'm very conscious that many of you don't know me at all, if you're not Um, A member of King's, you may be watching us from elsewhere. I understand that we have our our brothers and sisters in Nepal watching us, some in France. It's just such a a wonderful aspect of this crisis, isn't it? How church has changed, how we're adapting and what God is doing with this crisis. He's working all things together for good, even for us as a church. So I'm I'm, I'm aware that many of you watching me today may not know my story, that the story that my wonderful husband and the dad of my three gorgeous boys took up residence in heaven nearly three years ago. We are just coming up, in fact, to the third anniversary of his passing. Eight years prior to that, Paul and I were both 38 years old and he was diagnosed with stage four incurable cancer. It was all over his body. It started in the bowel and it already covered his liver. And at the time, it was a huge shock. We had two little boys and we had a weekend where my husband was in a lot of pain and we just thought he had an appendicitis. But actually, the news was very, very different. Now, we were not in faith. This Obviously, this was not our life plan. And the scripture in Matthew 6 that I've just been telling you about do not worry about tomorrow, became our lifeline at that time. If we did worry about tomorrow, I know Paul probably would have gone to heaven a lot sooner. In Paul's case, he probably could have worried himself to death, quite literally. The doctors and specialists couldn't tell us, Paul at the age of 38, how long he would have. They thought five years, maybe, maybe more. It all depends on 
many, many factors. It's a very rare type of cancer. Paul was self-employed at the time. He ran his own business. And in our late 30s, we had no insurance cover to cover if he was not working. So uh, when he wasn't working, he wasn't earning. And as we walked this journey, we experienced a lot of drought. As Habakkuk puts it, the fig trees were not budding for us. There was no sheep in the pen, no grapes on the vine. When Paul had a huge operation, which he did early on, and then he had lots of treatment, which was quite toxic. It meant he couldn't work for weeks. He had to be away from other people, including me and my children. Um, this went on for years. And then, of course, he was unwell. And all that time, he wasn't earning. And at that time, we were both earning about the same amount. So we had to radically adjust our lifestyle. And the last few years that Paul was with us, Paul hardly worked at all because because he just couldn't, also because the work wasn't coming in anyway. And at the time, that was a huge frustration. We were praying for work. He was desperate for work. But actually, looking back now, it meant he was at home with us as a family uh, a lot, and he was with the boys an awful lot. And he was able to be at school for all those special events, sports days, um, performances, uh, key assemblies. He was with me and my boys and family in a very um, quality way. He was not commuting and working in London. So in hindsight, now we can look back and see why Paul was not getting work. However, the financial pressure that we were under at the time was really tough. Everything that was was not essential was completely off limits. We didn't uh, have any nights out, really. We couldn't afford babysitters and we couldn't afford to go out anyway. There was no spare money for holidays. Uh, times of year such as Christmas was a huge challenge. The beginning of a new school year when you've got to get uniform for three boys and shoes and endless bits of equipment and what have you, it was difficult. And there were times when I'd head to the supermarket and I'd be saying, Lord, I haven't got the money in the bank to pay for this list of shopping, the food that we need to feed the family. But I'm trusting you because you tell us, do not worry about what we will eat, about what we will wear. I have got this. And I remember I would walk around the supermarket and I would just have my radar up and everything I needed, or maybe not quite what I had on my list, but something similar, would be on special. There was just ways that God would divinely um, provide for us. It was just incredible. Divine provision. And we trusted, as I say, our radar was up for blessing. Paul and I committed to giving throughout. Rich Horn was talking about the importance of giving last week. We tithed 10% of my salary and any other income that was coming in throughout that whole season. We also gave more when we felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that was easy, but we did. It was our worship to him. Drought is tough. We feel hungry. We feel thirsty. But when things are tough, what do we do? Well, we get closer to him, don't we? We throw ourselves on him. We sometimes, like Habakkuk, get in his presence and we're sort of saying, we need change. We need something. We, we have to get close to him. 
our provider, as Habakkuk threw himself on God in chapter one. He asked those awkward questions. He sobbed his heart out about his circumstances and for those around him. And Paul and I were really aware of people who were doing that with us, who were sobbing before God for us on our behalf and walking with us on this journey. And as a family, as a community of brothers and sisters in Christ, it's important that we do now that for each other in this season. God did not let us down. He delivered us over and over again And he blessed us in so many incredible ways. We didn't have to worry about the day-to-day details, the tomorrow. We had at the time every reason to. Financially, things were hard. And of course, my husband's health was uh, all over the place, up and down. It was really difficult. But we trained ourselves not to worry about tomorrow. It was about survival for us. And for some of you in this season... You are going to have to be like Habakkuk and also uh, transform a song of doubt to a song of trust, joy and praise. You will have to choose to be vigilant. God, seek him and find him. It does say that if you knock on the door and keep asking those honest questions, stay in the presence until you hear him, you will hear him. And then the assurance comes the joy in tribulation, the unexplainable supernatural gift from a heavenly father who promises to give you all that you need. Despite the circumstances, the peace that passes all understanding kicks in. Now, something I heard recently that I want to share with you because it really blessed me it says it was this to get the peace that passes all understanding we have to sometimes pass sorry bypass the mind and be okay with that so don't try and understand everything if you want the peace that passes understanding that's great isn't it it's basically chewing on a verse in philippians 4 verse 7 which says And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. I don't know about you, but I'm going to have that. I'm going to take that in this season. Sometimes we will not understand what is going on. We will not understand what's happening around us or to us. And yet God promises a peace that um, transcends all understanding. And this is where Habakkuk got to at the end of chapter three. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. It's an act of his will. He chooses to be joyful. And it's not about feelings. It's actually a decision. Um, you say, but I don't feel joyful right now. And I must admit, there are times right now when I don't either. I mean, come on, lockdown isn't fun all the time. Uh, Three boys at home, 24-7, trying to do homeschooling, isolation. We do have a lot of fun, by the way. And the person, well, not person, the member of the household who has the most fun and is enjoying lockdown immensely is our black Labrador, Tensing. He's loving us being with him all the time, if not me, uh, at least someone in the house. 
However, the circumstances for Habakkuk and the people of God remained to be dire. And we don't know, and again, we're not told in the Bible, how long it took before God's rescue came. But Habakkuk in his journey of faith has got to the place where he can say, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go to the heights. The one is not exclusive of the other. Habakkuk shows us that tribulation and joy is something that can be experienced simultaneously. With God, they can go hand in hand. As he says, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your wonderful deeds. Renew them in our day, in your wrath. Remember mercy. Habakkuk reminds himself of God's incredible rescue in the past and hears from God about his future and the future of his brothers and sisters. So we have that blessing, but actually we have so much more because God's ultimate rescue plan was Jesus, a saviour who blameless would take all our sin as his own on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, the final price was paid, the all-encompassing rescue. This is a free gift, and because of the cross, we truly don't have to worry about our tomorrow. We know it is sorted because of Jesus. If we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, we know our future is heavenwards bound. His name is above every name. Every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus. Paul, my late husband, is now with him in glorious company of his Saviour and others we know and love. Cancer did not win. Jesus is above that name. Paul is absolutely restored. Mind, body and soul. Death has lost its sting. COVID-19, coronavirus, will not win. As we complete this journey in our contemplation of Habakkuk, I pray that you will not only hear the story, but it will become your story. It will become your song. Your father wants you to sing a new song to him in this season. A couple of weeks ago, as a church, we watched a song called The UK Blessing. Churches sing the blessing over the UK and many other countries around the world have come up with a similar song, a similar blessing to sing over their nation. The UK version has been watched by millions and millions online, people no doubt in the UK and all over the world. And in fact, I don't know if you heard, but the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has written a letter to Tim Hughes, who was one of the leaders who came up uh, with this incredible song. He was behind making it happen. And Boris Johnson wrote to him just to say thank you, but also he has given Tim a special award. Amazing. It really is amazing. And the song is really, really powerful in this season. So I would like us to end today with this song again. And as it says in this song, may the Lord bless you and give you peace. 
And I just want to say thank you for listening and have a wonderful day today.